From the nation's capital to the Sunshine State. It's compelling. The high plains of Kansas and the northeast corner of the land of enchantment. It's Monday. The land of EWTN all across the Lone Star State. It's GRN Alive. Bringing you faith, fun, and facts. Live from the studios of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Join us on the show. Call 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to GRN Alive Monday edition. I'm Joe McLean. It is great to be on with you today. God is so very good. Praise be to Jesus Christ. I hope you're doing well. hope your weekend was great. Uh, I would love to know, we don't have a lot of time today to do this, but it would be interesting to know uh, how many of you have been able to return to Holy Mass, you know, wherever you are. We were blessed to be able to go to Mass this weekend. It was a beautiful experience, a beautiful day, in fact, as well. But uh, I know it's uh, not the same in every diocese across the Guadalupe Radio Network. But uh, if you have some way of letting us know, you could call in, maybe. But uh, we don't necessarily have a call screener manning the phones just yet. So maybe I'll I'll put the phone number out here in a little while. We can try that. But we're going to have a very interesting show today. Oh, by the way, so if you're hanging out with us on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, you can always comment. That's another way to do it. Just search for us on all of those platforms at GRN Online. That's a great way to let us know. But uh, the program today is going to be quite interesting. You know, this past three weeks, we've we've hit a very difficult and heavy topic, the topic of vaccines. We had uh, Debbie Vintage on from Children of God for Life talking about uh, the vaccines that she's been tracking that are uh, in preparation to, uh, to help relieve COVID, but those uh, that are using aborted fetal DNA in, o- in order to produce these vaccines, which are immoral. We discussed that. We discussed it also with Bishop Strickland, and we discussed it with Teresa Deicher, uh, you know, with uh, uh, her company, and she's a stem cell scientist. So we, we've really hammered this very difficult and tricky conversation over vaccines. And I thought, today we should go lighter. We should do something a little easier, a little fluffier. So let's talk about the end of the world as we know it. How about that? That's a lighter topic, right? That sounds a lot lighter. <laughs> easier topic. Uh, I've been uh, very curious. I've been interested in this topic for some time, obviously. But lately, I've been reading a book called The End of the Present World and the Mysteries of the Future Life uh, by Father Charles Amajan. Now, he... This was 19th century. He has long since been passed on. But St. Therese of Lisieux loved, loved, loved this book. And so I've been reading this book, and it's a fascinating read. And it it sort of brings up this topic, and not to mention the Daily Office of Readings. We've been covering the book of Revelation as well. And uh, and many people have reached out to me personally in the last month, month and a half, to ask about the end times. Are we seeing the end times? Are we in the end times? Is Jesus coming back soon? Can we expect the great apostasy? Are we, can we expect the great persecution? Is the Antichrist close to being on the scene? Is the vaccine that could be are mandated by all of humanity the mark of the beast? I mean, all of these questions have been thrown at me the last month and a half. So I thought, let's discuss the end times. It's obviously a topic on a lot of people's minds. The three days of darkness, for instance. To do that, I've invited Roy Showman on. He is... Uh, the author of a book called Salvation is from the Jews. I had the honor of interviewing him probably a decade ago, maybe, on this subject. And uh, 
He's, he's fantastic. And he's been doing a whole series on the end times on his YouTube channel, uh, just recently since Holy Week. So I thought this is perfect. This is a providence here that, uh, we're, we're aligning in topics. So Roy will be on the program with us here in about, uh, 20 minutes or 15 minutes or so. And we still have the headline news with Tim Mott. Uh, we have, uh, David, uh, Magianis running the board. And t- as you heard, Teresa Kamara is here as well from HoustonCoalition.com. Adrian Fonseca is out. He's got a math exam. So pray for him. It's his final. He's hoping to graduate college very soon and go on to uh, hopefully join uh, seminary with the Dominicans. Let's pray and let's dive in. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled, fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother, to thee do I come. Before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now the headlines with Timot. The total COVID-19 cases worldwide stand at 4.12 million with 281,000 deaths and 1.3 million recoveries. A new surge in coronavirus cases took Russia's tally past those in Italy and Britain on Monday, making it the third highest in the world just hours before President Vladimir Putin was due to issue an update on the situation. Only Spain and the United States have recorded more cases. Wuhan, the epicenter of the novel coronavirus outbreak in China, reported on Monday its first cluster of infections since a lockdown in the city was lifted a month ago, stoking concerns of a wider resurgence of the disease. The White House service for the National Day of Prayer last Thursday focused on protection from the coronavirus pandemic. President Trump said Americans will continue to pray for divine assistance as the nation faces unforeseen and seemingly unbearable hardships. Sister Aneda Martinez of the Four Sisters of St. Joseph Community in Alexandria, Virginia, was one of the religious leaders present to lead attendees in prayer. As parishes and dioceses across the country deal with the drop in collections and the prospects of layoffs amid the pandemic, many parishes have managed to avail themselves of government loans designed to cover eight weeks of payroll expenses. CBS News reported Friday that an estimated 12 to 13,000 of the 17,000 Catholic parishes in the U.S. had applied for Paycheck Protection Program payroll loans from the Small Business Administration, and 9,000 so far had received them. For the first time in over a century, the annual May 13 celebrations at the Fatima Shrine will take place without the physical presence of pilgrims, the Bishop of Fatima confirmed this week. Cardinal Antonio Marto said in a May 3rd statement that the celebrations for the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima will take place as announced April 6th, uh, as announced April 6th, without the physical presence of pilgrims in the name of prudence to avoid the risk of spreading the novel coronavirus. Today, Pope Francis appointed Father Louis Tilka, a president, a priest of the Archdiocese of Chicago, as coadjutor bishop of the Diocese of Peoria to serve alongside Bishop Daniel Jenke, um, CSC. And finally, EWTN Global Catholic Network, the world's largest Catholic media organization, announced Friday that Andrew Walter, an experienced Catholic journalist, media executive, and advocate for persecuted Christians, has been named President and Chief Operating Officer of EWTN News, Inc. The appointment is effective June 1st. And back to you, Joe. St. Matteo Levangam. Pray for us. He is a, a martyr and a saint 
from the 19th century, born in 1813 in Vietnam. Uh, he grew up uh, totally in love with the Lord, and he joined the seminary for a brief time. But because he was the oldest son, uh, his family uh, demanded that he come home, and he helped to provide for the family, which he did. He ended up marrying a local girl, and they had four children, but he was... Uh, because of the circumstances and because of, uh, you know, his uh, sort of becoming lukewarm in the faith, he ended up uh, cheating on his spouse. He ended up committing adultery. And But this experience, especially by way of forgiveness from his wife, really led to his reversion to the faith. And he came back stronger than ever. But there was a, a, a persecution of the faith that kicked up in 1846 by the emperor there in the Vietnam area. And he had, uh, in, in discerning his role after his reversion to the faith, you know, he said, well, he's got to do something for the church. And as a lay person, as a married man, he had uh, certain skills that he could do. He was a trained scale, a sailor. So he decided that he would assist the church, especially in light of the persecution. Uh, by helping to smuggle out seminarians and priests who were being persecuted by the emperor. And he started to make these voyages uh, from Vietnam to Malaysia, and he would take these seminarians and smuggle them, or priests or whatever, and eventually he did get caught. He tried to <laughs> bribe his way out of it, but it didn't work. He was arrested. For ten months, he was regularly tortured. And what they did was they tried to convince him to, to renounce his faith. They took a cross, and they wanted him to trample the cross, to to stamp on it, to renounce Christ as his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, which he refused to do. And uh, he died, 1847, they, they cut off his head. It took them three blows to cut off his head. Three blows to cut off his head. He died a martyr. He died in the faith. He died courageously. No matter the suffering that uh, that they pr- promised they were going to do to him during his 10 months of torture and imprisonment, he kept the faith. He actually lost two of his children to martyrdom as well. A great, great uh, martyr and a saint for our time to remind us of the necessity to be faithful in spite of anything the world can throw at us. Are you ready for that? St. Matthew of Lee Van Gam, pray for us. St. Matthew Lee Van Gam, pray for us. St. Matthew of Vietnam, pray for us. Teresa Kamara, good morning to you. Good morning, Joe. Are you ready for a fluffy topic today? I am absolutely ready for a topic that I wouldn't necessarily call fluffy, but it is, but it can be more philosophically oriented, and so I think it's very good that we're covering this because sunshine and fuzzy us, bunnies. It allows us to really look at this honestly, rather than um, taking in all of the the hype and the yeah. the excesses oh, yeah. around it. So, oh yeah, you know. It's, uh, our guest is great, uh, Roy Showman. He's gonna be on just a little while. He is the author of Salvation is from the Jews. Uh, great book. I, I enjoyed it. I haven't read that probably in years now, but, uh, really good book. I enjoyed reading it. Enjoyed interviewing him about a decade ago about that. So I'm looking forward to having him back today. Just out of curiosity, I mean, I haven't read it. So is it practical? Would you say it's more practical? Would you say it's very, like, theological? So, you know, what would you. Comes in two parts. Part one is sort of his conversion experience. Oh, great. Okay. You know, he had a mystical encounter with Our Lady. I have heard that. It's beautiful. Exactly. And, uh, you know, and that led to his uh, conversion to Christianity. He is a Jew. He was raised a Jew. He, He studied under some. 
some of the most prominent rabbis in America today. Actually, he lived in the uh, lived in the Holy Land uh, for a time, studying uh, under uh, these famous rabbis. He is MIT trained, Harvard trained. I mean, he's kind of the real deal. And when he had his mystical encounter with Our Lady, he said, "Oh, I'm a Christian now." So he went and became a Protestant. And so they started bad mouthing Our Lady. And he's like, "What are you doing? I just met this lady. You can't do this." And that led him to the Catholic faith, and he's been uh, home in the Catholic faith ever since. And so the book covers that, but it also goes into a sort of an apologetic and theological understanding of, you know, the fo- the formation, the foundation of Judaism and how it leads to the new Israel, which is the church. And it's it's really good resource. I recommend having this book on your bookshelf, especially for apologetics, if nothing for nothing else. But uh, he's been doing a whole series on the end times, and I thought this is a great opportunity to have the conversation. Well, and it's very needed right now because a lot of people are actually looking at death and at you know how do we how do we respond to this concern yeah. that is a legitimate concern and how much of this is just hype and so yeah, it's amen. Really good. We're going to find out. Uh, real quick, I don't have a lot of time to discuss it, but uh, I saw an article in the Catholic News Agency last week. Uh, bishops, Our Lady of America, not objective private revelation. Oh, yeah, I saw that. I mean, did, were they listening to our conversation with Bishop Strickland? I mean, Bishop Rose. Harvey, what if he did his homework? He, he asked somebody, and then they yeah. responded because they were yeah. like, hey, we need to, find, we need to answer this because of the bishop's asking. We'll link to it on our Facebook feed, facebook.com forward slash GRN online, and you can look for today's show, and you can find all the links. Tim is great about putting those in the in the comments there. But let me give you a real quote, a quote here. Basically, a Bishop Rhodes uh, finalized his 2017 investigation into these apparitions. He says... Uh, he says, quote, uh, sister, the sister who, uh, um, who was, uh, receiving these, uh, apparitions from Our Lady back in the 1950s into the 60s says, quote, in a statement, Rhodes said that sister was honest, morally upright, psychologically balanced, devoted to religious life, and without guile. He added that she had signs of imperfection, but no evidence that she was the perpetrator of a hoax or the victim of delusion. He goes on to say he didn't find any doctrinal errors. There was one thing he didn't like uh, that was uh, in the apparitions, and that was naming St. Joseph as co-redeemer with Christ. He said that's not found anywhere else in Catholic doctrine and must be seen as an error. But essentially, other than that, he had no issues with the actual apparitions and the messages, but that he didn't feel they they rose to the level of Fatima, Lourdes, or other uh, major private revelation apparitions of Our Lady, and therefore they would not be conducting any processions with Our Lady to enthrone her in the shrine and therefore be the the, the the lighthouse of purity to the world that she called for. Well, and, and I think that's it's beautiful that we have the ability for the church to be able to investigate it and have um, people like the devil's advocate who who really test this so that yeah. way we don't just have people that that you know come up with something and they just you know imagine i remember hearing somebody say they saw a vision of our lady in a piece of bread or in a tree <laughs> i saw and that on facebook like, you know and and the thing is like there there is a process so when people can see things like the toma yeah. mm. you know where they can see our lady of guadalupe there are legitimate apparitions there are there is evidence yeah. um and so so we can rely on that we rented uh, the movie about uh, faustina that mm-hmm. just came out over the weekend. We watched that on Saturday night, and um, you know, in that documentary, which is a sort of a docudrama, it uh, they talk about that as well. That even with Faustina there for a time, her her revelations were also suppressed by the church. Um, it was 
St. John Paul II that uh, re- removed that suppression and, and allowed her to be elevated to the canon of saints. Well, and also people need to realize that the church will not actually... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Will not approve a specific apparition until they have stopped. Yeah. So if she is currently appearing, they will not approve it because well, there she's is not no guarantee. For Lady of America, it's been right. over for a very long time. So, so if she's continuing to appear, they won't approve yeah. it. So even if, even if like someone were to see her, yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's not legitimate. It's just that we need to wait to make sure that whatever she says is yeah. in line with the Catholic faith. And that I guess there is that question about... Bishop Rhodes goes yeah, on to Saint talk Joseph. in the article, which we've linked to, about how it's fine for private revelation. Just mm-hmm. don't expect it to be on the church's calendar anytime soon or, or, or at all. Uh, which, I have to be honest, I'm disappointed in that. I'm um, kind of surprised. Yeah. I mean, because, okay, let's just say you made the statement, uh, we don't believe in anything of this revelation, we don't believe it at all. What would be the downside? Here's my question. What would be the downside of having the bishops process into the shrine with the statue of Our Lady to enthrone her there as our queen and our lady uh, and to be our protectress and to uh, be the, the role, the dignity of purity that she called for in those apps? Like, what, how could you go wrong in that? Like, where would be the bad part of doing that it seems like irregardless of the apparitions and the and the visionary the message itself or the like wanting purity to be the uh to be the one theme that gets you know sent throughout the whole world would be a good thing right i mean that would be something we should do it's efficacious it's good on its own merits why wouldn't you why wouldn't the bishops want to enthrone our lady in the shrine uh just by default irregardless of any apparitions well i think it would have to do with the fact that you'd want to keep the faith as pure as possible and so we have all of these titles of our lady we have all of these places where she did appear and and places where people can visit and so i don't think it's um What's the word I'm looking for? The bi- the bishops didn't come out and and condemn her. They didn't come out and no, say, "No, this is a problem." They just said, "We're not going to not going to do gonna, it. Uh, highlight it. <laughs> we're not going to focus in on. We're this not going to do it. That's title. what they're saying. We're not doing it. You can't make us." Well, I wonder also if part of it has to do with you know I'm I'm now this is my this is my take on it. Like I wonder if some of it is political just because it's not you know although we have Our Lady of Fatima, there's a specific place or yeah. like a specific place. But Our Lady of America. Oh, never mind. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> take that back. Anyway, read the article. <laughs> I guess draw your own conclusions. But I, I for me and my part, I am disappointed. I I wanted to actually help to lead a. Uh, petition signing to send to Archbishop Jose Gomez, president of USCCB, to try to encourage him to make this procession, because we think it would be great for America and for the world at large. Well, and and sometimes it takes a little bit of time for the bishop to change yeah. his mind on something, so Amen. that does happen too. Amen. Praise Jesus. And about a couple of minutes from now, we're going to go to break and we're going to come back with Roy Showman, and uh, he is the author of Salvation is from the Jews, and we're going to be discussing the end times and the imminent coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which means the world will be consumed in fire. Well, we'll, we'll the, 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 the time in the chronology, we'll have to discuss all of that. When is this going to happen? What will happen first? Uh, we're going to discuss all of that with Roy here in a bit. Do uh, you want to tease us on some pro-life news? We have about a minute and a half, and then we'll, we'll do the after show, and maybe we'll get into some more pro-life news. Sure. So, everyone, please pray for the Sisters of the Poor right now. Um, the Supreme Court just heard their case this past 
week. And um, so hopefully they will be allowed to continue to serve the elderly without compromising the unborn's life and the, the lives of the unborn and through the use of contraceptive being covered in and abortifacients being covered in their insurance plan. And so right now they're being able to not have to cover that. Hopefully that will continue um, as they desire. Um, also, um, it's interesting that the Gerber baby, uh, the new Gerber baby, a Magnolia Earl just had a birthday on May 9th. Um, she was adopted, and so I wanted to highlight her along with um, the other Gerber babies um, that include Lucas Warren, who two years ago uh, was chosen by the company. And then also, please pray for um, please pray for all the women that are. Um, considering abortion right now, we know that a lot of women feel trapped. We know that RU486 is being pushed into people's homes now. And um, there is abortionpillreversal.com that um, is available for her if she changes her mind. Mm. And they've saved over 600 babies. So just because that's being pushed right now, please continue to pray for those women that they will choose life for their child. And that if they do ingest the first pill, that they will call the abortion pill reversal hotline okay well stick around we're going to go to a break we're going to come back with roy showman who is the author of salvation is from the jews we're going to be talking about the end times what does the church teach about the end times what is the chronology what are the signs that we can be on the lookout for our lord says no one knows the day or the hour not the angels in heaven but only the father but he did also talk about the signs that we could read the signs and have a sense of it so we'll be discussing all of that uh sonia on Facebook says that she's not been able to attend Mass. Churches are not yet open for Holy Mass in the Diocese of Dallas. So we're praying for you, Sonia, and I hope that'll happen very soon. If you would like to let us know, dear listener, wherever you are, Alabama, Florida, Kansas, Virginia, Maryland, were you able to go to Mass? Uh, go and comment on our live video feed at facebook.com forward slash GRN Online or on Twitter or on YouTube. You can find us on all three platforms at GRN Online. You're listening to GRN Alive. Now is a great time to call 877-757-9424. Hi, I'm Faustino Rodriguez, and by the grace of God, I serve as the general manager for the Guadalupe Radio Network here in West Texas and New Mexico. On behalf of our Jaren family, I want to say thank you for being an involved radio listener through your prayers, pledges, and promotions. May God bless you and your loved ones abundantly during this Easter season, which ends in the great feast of Pentecost. Know that we are praying for you during this passing pandemic. Lord Jesus Christ, who has conquered death, we trust in your divine mercy. Amen. So the neighbor who we've spoken to, you know, just in greeting, but who I don't believe has ever spoken back to us, out of the blue, uh, surprised us. One day we were getting the kids in the car for Mass and asked us if we were going to Mass. I was dumbstruck for about probably 10 seconds. It was great that we had an opportunity to share about our parish and that we were Catholic. Turned out she was Catholic too, and she assumed we were because of the bumper sticker on our car. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. You can turn your unused vehicle into a tax-deductible donation to the Guadalupe Radio Network. It's a lot simpler than you might think, too. Just call 1-866-628-2277 or come by grnonline.com and click Donate Now. One of our representatives will gladly walk you through the process, even arrange pickup. Later model cars or trucks are greatly appreciated. Just call 1-866-628-2277 or come by grnonline.com and click Donate Now. 
The new and improved GRNOnline.com is now available. Hi, Joe McLean here, and I am so excited. GRNOnline.com just became so much better. Log on today. Enable location services so that you can find the local station information, the local program. Listen to your local GRN station right now. Get the podcast, events, and more, plus all of the network shows that you love the most. Again, grnonline.com. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to GRN Alive Monday edition. I'm Joe McLean, your host today. Uh, my colleague Dave Palmer hosts a Friday show. I always host the Monday show. Uh, we're covering the news and interesting topics from a Catholic perspective. And I want to just again reiterate, you just heard the spot. Brand new website available across the GRN. I encourage you to check it out. Go to grnonline.com. Your browser may ask you if it's okay if we know your location. I promise you we won't be using it to track you or to uh, impose the mark of the beast upon you. As a little tongue-in-cheek joke there about our topic. But, no, seriously, if you say yes to that question, it'll give you the GRN brand experience, but with a local customization feel. In other words, you'll be able to play your local station right away. That information, the play bar is right at the top of the page. You can click that, play the local station, hear your local content, your local PSAs, get your local contact information, local events, all of that information once you enable location services. So please do that. If you don't, you're going to get a generic version, and we're still working on making that, uh, tweaking that a little bit to give that experience a nice feel, too. But uh, go ahead and enable the location services at grnonline.com. I don't think you're going to regret that. But check that out. I also want to mention, before we dive into our conversation with Roy Showman here in a minute, uh, we have a whole series of Fishers of Men dinners coming across the network. Uh, the Washington, D.C. dinners coming up August the 20th uh, at the Bellhaven Country Club. It's going to be quite nice. Uh, Father Hezekiah is going to be our keynote, and uh, Bishop Burbage is going to receive the Fishers of Men Award. So go to grnonline.com if you're in the DMV area, and you can find details and register for that right now. Alabama, I think it's coming up in September. Midland's going to be in October, and the Houston uh, dinner will be in November. God's will be done in all things. Hopefully there's nothing that's going to change in relation to to uh, the rollout, opening up of things uh, due to the pandemic. Prayerfully, we all move in that direction and not backwards, right? So with that said, uh, please, again, visit grnonline.com for all of the details there. And now let me introduce to you our guest this hour is Roy Showman. He is, as I've said now, the author of Salvation is from the Jews. Roy grew up in New York City uh, studying under some of the greatest uh, or the most well-known rabbis in in the West and really in the United States. Uh, he's also a graduate from MIT and from Harvard Business School, so no slouch there. But uh, it was his book, Salvation is from the Jews. And I want to say uh, he's been um, featured in, in EWTN and just all over the place in the Catholic world. And his story has been told so several times or many, many times, but he had an encounter with Our Lady that led to his conversion to Christianity and then ultimately brought him home to the Catholic faith. And so uh, we're very grateful to have you on today. Good morning, Roy Showman. Roy, are you there? 
All right, we're going to let Tim uh, work on getting Roy on. In the meantime, I did ask if you've been to Mass or not. Let me just mention this while Tim is working on the phone. Uh, Paula from uh, Houston said that she was able to go to Mass at the Cathedral of Our Lady of Walsingham. So praise be to Jesus for that. Houston has been uh, sort of opening the gates. I think they're at 25% capacity right now. So every other pew, I think, is the, the sort of general rule of thumb. But uh, do we have Roy on? Uh, Roy, are you there? Roy Showman. I, I think I am now. Yes. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Good morning, Roy. It's good to have you on. Uh, good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, Roy, you, you probably don't remember. You've probably been interviewed 42 billion times by a bunch of people, but I had the honor of interviewing you maybe a decade ago about your book, or close to it anyway, about your book, uh, Salvation is from the Jews. Uh, I think it's a great book. Uh, I found it in not only inspiring in your own story, but also as a good apologetic resource uh, that I keep on my shelf. So again, it's, uh, it's, it's good to have you on, and I'm great to talk to you again. Uh, thanks. Well, it's always great to uh, preach, if I can say so, and especially uh, the second coming is, of course, on a lot of people's minds these days, so it's a fun topic. It is, in fact. You know, I've had a lot of people reach out to me personally, wanting to know if I have my beeswax candle for the three days of darkness, and, uh, you know, and, and just, are we, what are we facing here? Is the, the vaccine the mark of the beast? And, and just, uh, for your information, we spent the last three weeks discussing the vaccine on this program. We've had, uh, Debbie Vintage from Children of God for Life on. We had Dr. Teresa Deicher on. We had Bishop Strickland on. We talked about the immoral production with the use of, uh, aborted fetal DNA in pharmaceuticals like vaccines and other therapies and how that's uh, something we can't support. But we we also discussed, you know, forcing people to take vaccines would also be a major problem. And of course, uh, Bill Gates, you know, not, uh, you know, a secular humanist at best, was in uh, Scientific uh, Magazine in back in December talking about inking humans with, uh, you know, invisible ink that could be read with smartphones to track vaccine records. And so it's got people talking about the mark of the beast. And I thought, what a time to really have a conversation about what the church teaches about the end times, about the chronology of events, what must happen first, and kind of what we can expect. And maybe, Roy, if, if you're if you're really nice to us, you can give us the precise day and the time when the Lord will come back by the end of the show. Does that sound like a fair uh, no, deal? No, but I can talk about the signs of the times. And when Jesus <laughs> says, don't be hypocrites, you know when the fig tree is about to blossom and spring is near. You can do that with fig trees. You should be able to do it with the signs I'm telling you about. Amen. Praise Jesus. Okay, so uh, let's dive in. Let's start with, give us the general chronology overview of events in the sign, in the end times. What what does the church teach about the, sort of the procession yep. of, of events that will have to happen? Uh, first of all, I would like to uh, start with dogma, because that's always solid ground under your feet. Go for so, it. So, from from uh, the Catechism of the Council of Trent in the 16th century, uh, it's actually Article 7 on the Creed. It says, these three signs have to precede the second coming. The gospel has to be spread throughout the world. Um, there has to be a great falling away from the faith, which is referred to as the great apostasy. And there has to be an appearance of the Antichrist. So it explicitly, dogmatically states those three things have to happen before the second coming. And then from the New Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 674, we know a fourth thing which has to precede the Second Coming, which is a widespread conversion of the Jews. That paragraph reads, uh, quote, 
the glorious Messiah's coming is suspended at every moment of history until his recognition by all Israel. So that's the teaching that the second coming can't happen before a widespread conversion of the Jews. So we know uh, dogmatically four things that have to happen. We know, of course, from Jesus' words, uh, those terrifying descriptions of the Great Tribulation and so forth. Mm. And we actually know something else from Jesus' words, which um, I guess I'm going to launch in and be a little bit um, on PC, but <laughs> it's actually very interesting. When you read Jesus' warnings about the Second Coming, in, in uh, all the cases in the Synoptic Gospels, he warns that many false Christs and many false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So I would suggest that um, you know, this, the, uh, an explosion of unreliable prophecies and prophets in, with great charismatic gifts is actually also a sign that Jesus tells us about. Yeah, to be on the lookout for. He talked about the fig tree, reading this. You can read the sky and tell me when it's going to rain, but you can't read the sign of the time. So, uh, good distinction there about, uh, knowing the day and the hour and just knowing the general season that we are in. And, and that season, when you are, when you uh, agree, Roy, that knowing the season also should mean how we should conduct ourselves, knowing that information. Well, you know, I am not sure there's anything different in how we should conduct ourselves because I guess there are two two elements. One is that we will face the general judgment, but of course we'll face the particular judgment the moment we die, which could be tonight or the next hour or whatever. Mm. So, um, you know, the kind of being faithful to one's duty and trying to be in a state of grace and trying to get as much kind of, you know, good good credit behavior points <laughs> from Jesus mm. as possible is probably going to be the case in either case. And um, on the macro level, this is all divine providence. The Great Tribulation is divine providence. The end of the world is divine providence. The, the elements dissolving with fire is divine providence. So in a way, we don't really have to worry about that. God is taking care of that. We're talking with Roy Shoman. He is the author of Salvation is from the Jews. His website is salvationisfromthejews.com. You can check that out. But we're talking about the end times, and uh, we're trying to get a sense of what the church teaches. But we're also going to touch on those very popular subjects, too, uh, like, for instance, uh, the great rapture that many evangelicals believe in, and whether or not that is something the church uh, adheres to or not. But essentially, so far in our conversation, we've established the general sort of earmarkers, Right, the gospel is spread throughout the whole world. So there's there's the perfect number of Gentiles that are brought into the faith. There is and a great apostasy, as Saint Paul talks about in Second Thessalonians chapter two. There is the conversion of the Jews, and the Antichrist comes on the scene with a great persecution, and then the coming. Does that summarize that pretty well, Roy? Sure. Let me throw in just a stu- silly little factoid. But you mentioned in the beginning the um, kind of under-the-skin tattoo that Gates was proposing to see whether or not you got the vaccine? Yes. I'm not making this up. If you (laughs) look up the name of the enzyme that's used for those tattoos, it's luciferase. I'm not kidding. (laughs) You're kidding. You made that up. You didn't make that up. I didn't make that up. That is, It's an enzyme that was developed in the late 19th century. It's actually luciferase. That is insane. (laughs) 
That I mean, not only would I have not gotten the tattoo to begin with, but now I really won't get the tattoo. <laughs> that is really, really insane. But uh, w- that's part of, I think, what fascinates me about this subject. I, I recently have been starting to read this book the about the end times from Father Charles Armagnon, a French priest who died in the 19th century. But St. Therese of Lisieux really loved this book. Actually, and uh, and it gives a very good synopsis of the end times from the church's perspective, from early church fathers, etc. No private revelation in that book, which I found also fascinating. Uh, but you know, we, I, there's a because there's an issue here I have with the end times, and that is, on one hand, our Lord says, you know, He'll come at a day and a time when the master of the house, the one with the keys, who's supposed to be feeding the house, the the you know the members of the house at the appropriate time. Uh, boy, there's some illusions there, aren't there? Uh, he's gonna come when, when, when it's not expected, when they hope he's not gonna come, he's gonna show up out of the blue and, you know, he's gonna lay the wood to the master of the house for not doing what he was supposed to do. Uh, my, you know, all embellishments are my own, by the way. Um, and yet at the same time, like what you just said about that enzyme, it's like, Cat and obvious. I mean, how could you be more obvious? I mean, so we see like the, the when the Antichrist does come onto the scene, he's going to use great diabolical signs and wonders to mimic or ape God and try to pretend as though he is God. In fact, that's one of the things, right? He wants everybody to worship him as God, and so there's going to be a great uh, a mass believing in this and this apostasy. And yet, that is also, it's like, I don't, I guess what I'm trying to say here is, I'm confused as to how it can be both obvious and, you know, not so obvious all at the same time. It seems like there's a contradiction in that. Did I communicate um, that well enough? Yeah, you, of course. That's your job. You do a very good job at it. Um, I, you know, I, I, I'll, I'm always a little bit uh, tentative about becoming too politically incorrect, so I'm not going to name names. But I think we've seen how that can happen because we've seen a very major American political figure in the recent past, which people who are not in a state of grace and are given over to sin thought was a great Messiah, a great Savior, the greatest thing ever happened to ever to happen to American politics, whereas most good Catholics saw him as transparently wicked. Mm. This is so my- I think that this state of the soul makes a huge difference in how one perceives things. And ultimately, I think that's what I was referring to when I said that knowing the season should also uh, indicate how we should be acting. And and I think you answered well in that, well, nothing has changed. You know, in good times or in bad times, in both times, we should be in a state of grace. And that's true, right? We should always be living in a state of grace, no matter the time, because we could face our death right now or tomorrow, well before the Lord comes back in the great sign. Um, but ultimately, I guess, for those that would ask these questions, like, oh, are we are we going to expect the, uh, the coming soon? Well, I think, as we've said, there's some things that have to happen first. St. Paul makes this very clear in his writings in Second uh, Timothy chapter 4. I'll just quote that really quick. He says, quote, Let no man deceive you by any means, for unless there come a, great, a revolt first, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and is lifted up above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself as if he were God. He goes on to quote uh, in verse 14, Therefore, brethren, stand fast 
and hold the traditions which you have learned, whether by word or by epistle. I've always found that an incredibly uh, interesting passage of sacred scripture because uh, St. Paul is giving us the chronology there. We ha- Obviously, the, the great man of perdition hasn't made himself known yet, so we know that much. And then, of course, the Jews haven't come in, and you being uh, of Jewish descent... Maybe you can give us some unique insight on that. That's one of my interesting questions about the end times. When can we expect the Jews to come in? It would seem to me they would come in almost very near the very end. What what say you, Roy Shulman? I think they are coming in. I think we may be seeing the um, the conversion of the Jews. Um, I think most of us are aware of what's commonly called Messianic Judaism, these congregations of Jews who have become followers of Jesus, there are now probably four or five hundred of those congregations in the United States. There were two or three in 1968. There are currently a half a million. This is an old number, so probably a lot more than a half a million Messianic Jews in the United States. I spoke to a Jewish believer in uh, in Israel, in other words, a Jew who believed in Jesus, and she said there isn't a town in Israel without a Messianic Jewish congregation. Wow. Um, we, the, the, the biggest rabbi in Judaism, uh, Rabbi Yitzhak Kuduri, who died in 2008, I believe, he, he was 108 years old. He was the most important rabbi in the entire Jewish world. There were over a quarter million people at his funeral. And he actually announced about a year before he died that he had a vision of the Messiah, and that after he died, he would leave behind a note, which wouldn't, shouldn't be opened until a year after he died, with the name of the Messiah. And when wow. that note was opened, the name of the Messiah was Yeshua. <laughs> we know that guy. <laughs> we know that guy. Um, Yeshua. That's, Jesus. That's right. uh, he also, by the way, said that when the Messiah appeared to him, he said that um, he was doing this because... Uh, basically because the end of the world was near, that, that pretty soon everything would wrap up. So, I mean, I'm just throwing that out there for what it's worth, but let me put it, let me state the converse. If it turned out that the second coming was around the corner, I would not turn around and call God a liar because it had been an insufficient conversion of the Jews. Mm. And I would not, well, also it's not a good, Good job to call God a liar, but you know what I mean. Right. You shouldn't be and, in that business. Um, I get it. Yeah, it shouldn't be in that business. Um, but the other thing also is this whole business of the Antichrist placing himself on the throne of God and so forth. You know, as a Jew in the Catholic Church, people sometimes say to me, look at all the prophecies in the Old Testament that talked about Jesus. How come the Jews didn't see it? Hmm. And the truth is, these prophecies are clear in hindsight exactly what they yeah. mean. But if you're looking forwards, they're pretty mysterious. Sometimes they're pretty symbolical. I mean, um, mm. you know, the plowshares, I mean, the, the swords weren't beaten into plowshares and so forth. Uh, you know, the lion doesn't lie down with the lamb. Um, the, the, uh, the nations of the earth don't st- come streaming to Mount Zion. They do spiritually because they're streaming to the Messiah, yeah. who is Jesus. But, you know, so how, how, how spiritual, how much is it a kind of a spiritual view of things? If you had a world leader who wasn't literally worshipped as God, but everyone on earth 
like he controlled the fates of everyone on earth, controlled mm. the lives of everyone on earth. Everyone on earth was totally dependent on him. Mm. Would that count as sitting on the throne of God? I don't know. Yeah, well, there's so many questions that we I probably won't know until it's all said and done. Like I said, we'll be in heaven with hindsight vision and going, oh, okay, now I see it. Uh, but we're here now, and we, we're just not blessed with that. But And it's not God's will that we know everything either, and curiosity killed the cat. So there's that string of thoughts. But anyway, going back to the Jews, um, you know, a couple of thoughts do come to mind. There's always been a debate among Protestants and Catholics about the horror of Babylon as in uh, as depicted in the book of Revelation. And I've been going through the Office of Readings. Uh, I started in the holy season of Lent, and I've decided to keep going. And every morning I get up very early, and I read the Office of Readings. And we've been going through the book of Exodus, that we went through Hebrews, and now we're going through the book of Revelation. And it's just fascinating uh, to see the church in, um, in, in her wisdom and her prayer life look at eschatology and uh, and in discussing this argument whether or not the city of Rome is the whore of Babylon which sits on seven hills or is the city of Jerusalem the whore of Babylon that sits on seven hills and will the Antichrist be uh, of Roman origin or will he be of Jewish origin I want to say St. Robert Bellarmine who is one of the foremost thoughts uh, from the church's patrimony on this subject uh, and I want to say St. Jerome and others have all said it, it the Antichrist will be of a Jewish origin. Is that true, Roy? Or from your perspective? Well, it's certainly true that the Church Fathers were unanimous about that, because since the Christ was of Jewish origin and the Antichrist is a kind of a diabolical mockery or mimicry of him, the Antichrist should be of Jewish origin. I will say that I have, I always have a favorite candidate to turn out to have been the Antichrist, <laughs> and there is a very prominent Jewish man who shall remain unnamed, but his order billions of dollars he gives out every year, I imagine. Exactly, yeah. He supports virtually all of the anti-Christian and anti-human initiatives around the globe. Yes, but does I he see himself a as a god? You know, you don't know. But does he see himself as a god? Is the question. Oh, wait a minute. I, I have I have uh, quotes from him about exactly that. Um, I set you up. I already uh, knew the answer. If there's a break, I'll look up the quote. But he yeah. actually had a messiah complex, and he was worried about being locked up in a loony bin because he thought he was a god. That's not a good thing. I mean, generally speaking, that's, that's not a very good thing. Uh, but it, no. it's, it's fascinating is, I think part of the understanding of what the church is trying to communicate about the end times and about the Antichrist is... That the Antichrist and in, in the work of Satan has always been to mimic and to mock God, that which he can never be, that which he can never obtain, he wants to pre- pretend as though he can. And uh, and so it makes sense that he would pretend to be a messiah. He would pretend, and even to the point of ascending and being crushed by the Lord in his uh, in his pretend ascension, Saint Michael casting him from the sky. But uh, so there'll be great signs, great wonders, even as the Book of Revelation says, uh, you know, a, a pretended resurrection. Right? There's a mortal wound con- inflicted upon the Antichrist, and he is miraculously healed from this head wound. Isn't that the case as well? Well, that is part of the picture in the book of Revelation, that's right. So, okay, so now we've we've sort of had some fun there talking about all of that, but let's put it into the context of our day and age. You know, we live in a day and an age where, you know, we may even, I may even get criticized for, for even mentioning that the Antichrist could be Jewish. 
right? And uh, so it's like it, we live in a time where it's, people are very sensitive, very PC sensitive about discussing anything like this whatsoever. And what does it mean that the Antichrist might be Jewish? Especially given the fact that we see such animosity, animosity between Muslims and Jews, for instance, and how that plays out on a geopolitical scale all across the world. I mean, uh, moving our em- embassy to Jerusalem created a huge stink. So um, how can we see these end times teachings in light of current politics? It, it, are we reading too much into it, or, or is there somehow going to be all of a sudden a day where when he comes to this for this Antichrist, all of a sudden everybody's going to start loving the Jewish people again? I, I think there are like two dimensions to what the, the topic that you just introduced. Um, I, the first one that's easier to address is the eschatological significance of Israel, mm. which is, um, th- I do think it's true. I mean, look, when God walked the earth, there's only one place he walked, right? When he was born, there's one place he was born, and when he died, there was one place he was crucified. Um, Jerusalem was always seen as the uh, spiritual center of the world, for the first half of salvation history, right, mm. before the coming of Christ. And during Christ's lifetime, it was, of course, the center of salvation. And then you have the prophecies that Jesus himself gave. I think it's Luke 21, where where he gives a timeline where he says, um, uh, the Jews will fall by the edge of the sword, and Jerusalem will be led captive among all nations, um, and Jerusalem will be trodden down under the feet of the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, and then there will be signs, great signs and wonders, and he immediately goes into a description of the second coming. So Jesus' description or or prophecy of the second coming in Luke 21 um, basically sets a kind of a timeline that is linked to the state of Israel, or rather to the Jewish presence in Jerusalem. And the first half of that timeline was literally fulfilled in 70 AD, right? Jerusalem fell by the edge of the sword. The Jews were led captive among all nations, literally fulfilled. And then he goes on to say, uh, Jerusalem will be trodden down under the feet of the Gentiles, literally fulfilled. Jerusalem was in Gentile hands from then until 1967 AD, or six, yeah, 67 AD, when it returned to Jewish hands for the first time. And then he immediately goes into a description of the second coming. So I don't think you have to be a kind of a um, Jewish chauvinist nut mm. to think that there's something of a time clock having to do with the second coming that's associated with the Jewish presence in the Holy Land. We're talking um, with and, Roy. And that light. We're talking with Roy Showman. He is the author of Salvation is from the Jews, a great book. I recommend it. You can check out his website, salvationisfromthejews.com. We're talking about the end times, what the church teaches. Uh, we're talking about some of the more interesting aspects of, of the chronology of events and sort of diving into some of the details here with Roy Showman. And, uh, and with that thought, go back to what I just cut, I cut you off, but what were you saying? I was talking about Jesus' prophecy in Luke 21 where he lays out a timeline which associates the second coming with the return of Jews to Jerusalem, mm. very overtly. Um, and uh, it's, it's Luke uh, 21, around verse 23, and uh, the Jews will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be drawn down by the Gentiles 
until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, and there will be signs and sun and moon and stars, and upon the earth distress of nations and perplexity, men fainting with fear and with foreboding, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. So there's a timeline there, and we've seen the, uh, we've seen the first half of that timeline fulfilled in 70 AD, and the second half fulfilled in 1967 AD with the return of Jerusalem to the Jews. And so, and then he immediately describes the second coming. So you, it's, this is your fault that I'm going down this line. Because <laughs> you said the, re- the return of the uh, U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem is what reminded me of this. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I, I think it's logical to see an esch- eschatological significance in these things, including the return of um, the embassy to Jerusalem. And uh, similarly, I think that because um, the Jewish people were at the center of the history of the unfolding of salvation for the first half of salvation, it doesn't seem illogical to me, or rather it seems logical to me. I mean, you look at Armageddon, right? That's another mm. another prophecy we all know about, about what will precede the second coming, will be this great battle. And I could even easily imagine, just imagine for the sake of the imagery, that Israel tried to rebuild a temple on the Temple Mount, right? The Jewish temple. Aren't they? Which Aren't now, they trying this? No, there's a there's a lunatic fringe who who have fantasies of doing it. But well, that's the Israeli good to hear. Certainly that was going to be one of my follow-up questions was to ask you to clarify this because I've always been troubled by these reports of of uh, this attempt to rebuild the temple there and the push from the evangelicals to get it to get it to happen. I've always been very confused by that. Um, but so you're saying it's really not uh, the movement of the Jewish people as a whole. It's really just a, a small fringe group. It's their worst nightmare. It's their worst nightmare. Ninety nine point nine percent of Israelis just want to live without being blown up while they take a bus to work the next day. Little life goals, right? Just, just make it to work without dying from rocket fire. You know, little life goals. Well, we're praying for, for the folks living in Israel right now. But uh, we, we have about five, four minutes left in the radio side of our program. We've been speaking with Roy Showman, who is the author of Salvation is from the Jews about the end times. Uh, and uh, what the church teaches, going into some of the, uh, down a few rabbit holes related to it, but that's kind of my thing. I love doing that. And when we go off the air across the Guadalupe Radio Network, I you know recommend that you hang out with us on Facebook, Twitter, and on YouTube. You can find us at grnonline.com, uh, or you can just search for G- at grnonline on any one of those platforms. And we're going to hang out for another half hour, and we'll talk to uh, Roy about all of this. Plus, Teresa Kamar has a few more headline news, I think, for the pro-life concert maybe we'll cover a few more bit before we say goodbye for the day but uh, so roy four minutes left in the program maybe we can summarize for the radio audience uh the the church and her teaching on the end times the chronology uh and one of the questions i really wanted to ask and i wish we had more time now to, to go down this particular rabbit hole is the great apostasy uh you know so many people have said joe come on this is not going to happen everything is fine you know i'm like well wh- what would the apostasy look like in your view uh when the whole world seems to go to error what 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 would that even look like roy you got three minutes well i would say just look out the window i mean (laughs) uh, the european union in their constitution refused to even acknowledge a christian history of europe yeah but remember that for most of the last 1500 years it was the holy roman empire and no ruler in europe could be ruler unless he was crowned by the pope 
and now they won't even allow the word Christian in their constitution or, mm. or Christianity. Um, you know better than I do the statistics of how many Catholics, you know, it's a mortal sin in principle to miss Sunday Mass uh, when it's available. <laughs> right. But anyway, and, um, you know, you know better than I do the percentages, but my guess is, or, or how about contraception? That's a mortal sin. Abortion. What are the yeah. What's the percentage of Catholics who are not technically in a state of mortal sin? Right. right. It's got to be in the single digits. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty frightening if you look at the statistics. And if you want to look at some statistics, a great resource would be to go to uh, the statistics that the USCCB uses. I think CARA is the organization that maintains them. Uh, you can find them on Georgetown University's website. You can just Google Catholic statistics, and you'll, you'll probably find them. And they go back 50 years. And when you look at those statistics uh, going back 50 years, it's startling to see how, like, priest vocations down, religious vocations down, sacramental baptisms down significantly, sacramental marriages down significantly, parishes closing, a mass attendance. I mean, whenever they do a, a the headlines uh, hit the major media outlets about how many Catholics believe in the you know the doctrine on the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, it's always like startling to read these statistics. There, none of them are any any good. So, if we're looking for a great apostasy, boy, this would be a pretty good example of one. Right, Roy? Well, uh, 60 seconds left I, on the I clock. I agree completely. You, I think you mentioned Second Timothy earlier in the show, too. And there's another set of prophecies about the end times, which I, I think I'm kind of closing because I think you're about to cut me off. I think this is really interesting to look at this and see, are we in those times? But understand this. This is Second Timothy 3. Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of stress, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, inhuman, implacable, slanderers, profligates, fierce, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding the form of religion but denying the power of it. Besides that, Mrs. Kennedy, how was the parade? <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm just tongue-in-cheek here. Okay, we have to end on somewhat of a light note, right? Uh, so hold that thought to Roy Showman. Salvation is from the Jews. Dot com is his website. Uh, we've been uh, having a bit of a laugh, but also some serious conversation about the end times, what the church teaches, some of the rabbit holes that we love to go down there. And you can uh, find more information about Roy, get his book, and all of that at salvationisfromthejews.com. But we're going to hang out for another half hour on Facebook, Twitter, and on YouTube to continue our conversation and uh, talk about the end times and what we should know or not know about this, what the church teaches and all of that. And we encourage you to hang out. If you haven't done so, please... Please let me encourage you to go to our website, grnonline.com. Make sure you enable the location services so that you can get the local customization with a network feel. It's a brand new website. I think you're going to enjoy it. And you can uh, stay tuned for more coming your way from the Guadalupe Radio Network. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to GRN Alive. From the studios of the Guadalupe Radio Network. For more faith, fun, and facts, join our email list. Just text the letters GRN to the number 42828. That's GRN to the number 42828. And take Jesus wherever you go this week.
Solidarity HealthShare is rebuilding Catholic healthcare in America. We conform to the moral guidelines of the Catholic Church so you never have to worry about your healthcare dollars paying for anything that violates your conscience. From conception to natural death, we strive to serve all healthcare needs, protect human lives, celebrate families, and promote the dignity of all people. Join Solidarity HealthShare in restoring and rebuilding authentic Catholic healthcare by signing up at SolidarityHealthShare.org, a sponsor of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Blessed be God, blessed be His holy name, blessed be Jesus Christ, true God and true man, blessed be the name of Jesus, blessed be His most sacred heart, blessed be His most precious blood. Blessed be Jesus in the most holy sacrament of the altar. Blessed be the Holy Spirit of Paraclete. Blessed be the Great Mother of God, Mary Most Holy. Blessed be her holy and immaculate conception. Blessed be her glorious assumption. Blessed be the name of Mary, Virgin and Mother. Blessed be Saint Joseph, her most chaste spouse. Blessed be God in his angels and in his saints. Amen. 